welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. It's Pastured Pig Podcast time again. Uh, just some quick updates before we get into our interview. Uh, we've had our first snow already, so here we are in the 1st of November dealing with snow and some record temperatures, although I think almost everybody in the country is dealing with that right now. Uh, we were able to get our uh, farrowing barn pretty much complete, just have some final touches to do, uh, get the gate and some other key elements in there. But we are expecting piglets in about two weeks. So we'll see how that goes. We're hoping Merida will enjoy this uh, new new accommodations and farrowing would go well. Hopefully we can keep her in there and she doesn't go out in the middle of the woods and farrow. We're going to jump right into our interview. We've got another good one tonight and hope you enjoy it and I'll catch you on the backside. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I've got another great interview set up for uh, this evening. Hope everyone enjoys this as we dive into it. Tonight, I have Lindsay Laughlin with Prodigy Farms in Pella, Iowa. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, Troy. Thank you. All right. Well, um, uh, give people a little peek behind the curtain here. We had a little bit of technical difficulties, but I think we're over that now. So hopefully we won't crash and burn in the process. <laughs> okay. So uh, tell us a little bit about Prodigy Farm. I, I mentioned it's in Iowa, so there's some uh, things we can uh, assume there. But uh, give us the 40,000-foot elevation of what you've got going on at your farm. Yes. So we are Prodigy Farms, and we are located in Pella, which is a little Dutch community, uh, southeastern central Iowa. <laughs> so whichever part of the state wants to claim us. Um, so we really, our farm really focuses on organic pastured meats and um, we do that using a method that integrates several species together so um, we really also um, have chosen breeds that thrive um, on grass so we actually feed we have very little grain input um, throughout our entire farm operation it's about as minimal as it can be Um, and then we also focus on heritage breeds so, um, and, and in that realm of heritage breeds, um, even smaller we go into, um, we, our farm is home to five um, species of critically endangered heritage livestock breeds. So, um, and, and all of them have a purpose and they all work well together. Um, and so we have everything from our Dexter cows. They are actually not one of our critically endangered breeds but are um, very important to the functioning of our farm and they are 100% grass-fed, grass-finished cattle. Um, and then as we come down to the smaller species, we have San Clemente Island goats. Um, they are fabulous because they are browsers, so they clean up a lot of the brush. Um, they also eat a lot of stuff that the cows really don't want to eat. Um, they are fantastic little goats that grow really slow. They are a critically endangered breed with a population of less than 800 right now um wow. and uh they actually they're really interesting we've had a couple different breeds of goats over my lifetime on this farm 
Um, but this is the first breed that actually is completely free range. So they are very intelligent. Um, they're almost deer-like in their mannerisms and when you watch them, but they go out, um, range our 40 acres, but they always end up coming back at night. Um, so they're just really interesting little goats to have around. Hmm. And they are actually a dual purpose breed. Um, so they have a very high butterfat content milk. Um, they are a milking breed, but they are also um, on the arc of taste as a meat breed as well. So a very dual purpose breed. They are slow growing though. So they're about 18 months to three years um, before they are up to size for, for processing on the goats. Um, and then we also have one of my favorite on the farm is, of course, my mule foot hogs. Oh, <laughs> and um, those guys are absolutely, like I said, one of my hands-down favorite animals, something that is very new to us. Um, I had not previously had pigs, neither had my husband when we jumped into the mule foot hog world. So, um, But they are very important to the functioning of our farm. Um, actually, right now, they are out in their pastures. The pastures that they're in, they're really tilling up right now. And um, so that will allow us to reseed, do winter or spring seeding, depending upon what weather we have. And um, the importance with them is they go out, they till up certain areas of the pasture, and we're able to reseed. And we reseed um, with a different variety of, than what is already there. So we focus on stuff that is more high protein and the legumes, um, the clover, the alfalfa, the rape, the buckwheat, and um, let those things grow up. And then when our goats go out to graze that area or our cattle, they actually have a higher variety in their diet. So their mineral um, and protein content, you know, varies um, and their diet is um, much broader than just being on grass alone. So we see them being much more thrifty, thrifty animals as well. So, um, and then we, we go on down to the smaller ones. We have um, lots of poultry on our farm as well. Um, and uh, that would be our Bard Holland chickens are another one of our um, critically endangered breeds and our Dutch Hookville ducks. And we do have turkeys as well, including the Beltsville small white, which is a critically endangered breed too. And um, the birds are very important. They go out in the pasture. And of course, um, the ducks, not so much. The ducks are really great at reducing insects, um, but the turkeys and the chickens go out and they dig through all of the manure and spread it out and naturally harrow the pasture and keep the pastures cleaned up for us in that way. So everybody kind of works together and, and has a purpose here on our farm. Wow, that that's a great setup. Man, that's that's um, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's talk about the um, the size of the farm. How, how many acres are you uh, doing all this on? So we are just 40 acres here hmm. um, on our home farm. So um, we have many small pastures that everybody can kind of rotate um, through and then one larger area um, that the goats and the cattle and, and everybody like that is free range into. Of course, you know, one of the things with getting started in this, um, I actually grew up on this farm, Troy, but um, I didn't, we didn't have, we rented it out for pasture for a multitude of years. Um, and so we just recently decided that we were going to not rent all of our pasture anymore and start putting it to use for ourselves. So it's been a big undertaking 
um, we have a lot of infrastructure still that needs to be built, you know, in the line of fences and everything else to allow um, the hogs to be out on more of the pastured areas that we have. But all of that, <laughs> of course, takes time and, of course, takes some money. So so it's a process um, that we are, are starting, and, and it's just a continuum all the time, it seems. Interesting. So, uh, obviously, with that polyculture going on, you, you have a lot to manage, but there's a, a real symbiotic relationship between these these animals, regardless of the fact that they're endangered. Like you said, you're, you're looking for something that was highbrows, something that really would do well on pasture and not need a lot of grain input. So, with all those animals, and the, and the mule foot specifically, how much grain are you? Are you using any grain? Are you grain-free there? We use very little grain. Um, our cattle and our goats are actually completely grain free. Um, our hogs, they of course, our cattle and goats um, do receive a very high quality loose mineral. Um, our hogs actually just get fed less than 10% of their body weight a day in grains. And um, our ducks and our chickens are probably right about that. You know, they just get a treat when they come in at night. Of course, all of that changes slightly um, in the winter um, with actually the only ones that increase um, their grain intake over the winter are our poultry, just because there's not the bugs available um, in our harsh winter climate for them to be out um, foraging that way. So, so they do increase their amount of grain over the winter, um, but we feed relatively little, except for we do um, a batch of Cornish cross broilers on pasture in the spring, hmm. and we do um, a batch of broad-breasted turkeys on pasture in the fall. And um, of course, those are more conventional livestock, and um, they eat a tremendous amount of grain. So it's always interesting and always makes me thankful that our heritage breeds um, are, have much less grain consumption than the two conventional breeds that we have for just such a short time because there's a really big difference and there's a really big difference in the feed bill too. Right, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, well you, yeah. you said you grew up on this farm. So have you have you been experienced as a farmer all your life or did you have another career at some point? Ah, I did, yes. So I actually, my father um, bought this farm when I was five years old and we still lived in town but had the farm out here. Then as I got to be about 13, they built a home out here and um, we moved to the country. So we always had growing up um, a herd of cow calf out in the pastures. And um, I always, of course, had a few goats and a horse. <laughs> there were lots of other, we always had some poultry around as well. And over the years, we definitely had um, lots of pets come and go too, like potbelly pigs and, and some rabbits and things like that. Um, but however, as I grew up, um, my career actually took me into the field of nursing. And so I was um, a nurse for several years and I absolutely loved it um, and enjoyed the experience. The nursing field that I was in really focused on holistic care. So not just um, medically what was wrong and medically what we were going to do to fix it, but focused on um, the, the body and the person as a whole, emotionally, mentally, medically, yes, but also physically, what we could do to um, help that person. And so, interesting enough, um, it's been six years now since I left my nursing career. And so, I see 
a lot of the traits coming through um, from my nursing career being used here on the farm every single day. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's nice because there is a decent amount of nutrition background there as well. Um, and as interesting as it, it, you know, it seems that the animals and the people kind of flow together. So um, when I'm taking care of them and giving them, you know, everything that they need, um, it seems that our animals are healthy and thriving. And I can definitely relate that back to my nursing career and um, how, you know, people became healthier and thriving through certain things that we were able to do with their environment, with their diet, with exercise as well, and not just necessarily medication. So, mm. Yeah, well, it's great. It's great to be able to apply that. And I'm, I'm sure there's multiple times you see those um, certain things manifest to show that the, there is a lot of crossover there um, with, with the animal care and, and as far as people care goes as well. Yes, yes, I, yes. And I'm, I'm thankful that I have the livestock, um, you know, because it, it definitely hits more on that nursing level of things where you get to have a relationship um, with what you're caring for. And so I guess that's probably why we do livestock um, <laughs> is because I get to have that relationship and I really, really enjoy that. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's let's go to your mule foots for a second. So, or, or, or as a plural, mule foot, mule feet. <laughs> so, so, so let's go. Yes. So, um, why did you choose the mule foot? So, funny enough, we um, one day I kind of went to my husband and and realized um, we were older when we got married, and he was actually born and raised in town. He was not a farm kid, and so. God bless him. He inherited me and the funny farm. And so here, um, it's probably been about a year and a half ago now, I went to him and I said, hey, honey, we should get some pigs. And he went, hmm, you know, I like bacon. <laughs> and um, so from there, the conversation went and he asked lots of good questions um, that really made me kind of dig into, okay, what do we want this to look like as far as what are the pigs going to add to the farm overall? Um, and then, you know, the big question of what kind of breed of hog are we wanting to bring in? So we started doing our research and started having lots of conversations on it. And we came down to two breeds that piqued our interest. Um, one being the Hereford hog, they were readily available in our area. Um, and the other being the Mulefoot hog. And so I talked to several breeders all over. Um, Interesting enough in our exploration of bringing in pastured pigs to our farm, um, I had several conversations with um, farmer friends in our area, and um, the general consensus was the same as I was, you know, explaining what I was looking for and what I was wanting to do was, you can't do that. You know, we have too harsh of weather in Iowa. Um, there's too many breeds that have been bred to confinement situations like what you want is you're looking for a unicorn, you know? So, right, yeah. um, so however, through those conversations, I got to learn so much about the history of pigs in the United States. And, and in Iowa, we're the number one pork producing, you know, state in the United States of America. And um, so those conversations were just so interesting. And I really enjoyed learning the history um, of the confinements and everything. But um so we started, we continued um, information gathering. I talked to several breeders all over the country, people that had 
Herefords, people that had meal foots. And we had a laundry list of positive um, traits of each breed and a few cons, you know. Um, but what really it came down to was we were kind of sitting there looking at it and it's like, goodness gracious, it doesn't feel like we're comparing apples to apples here. And um, by the grace of the good Lord, there was actually a lady that I found online clear up in New York State that had owned both breeds. And so I decided to call her one day and say, all right, I would really like to know what your experience with these two pigs is. And she was very gracious. And um, she, you know, she said she absolutely adored the Herefords. Um, they were very quick maturing. They did really good out on the pasture, you know, seemed like it would be a good fit for us. Um, but then she moved on to her description of the Mulefoots. And she said, you know, they're really not comparable. The Herefords are going to grow out much more quickly than the Mulefoots. Um, however, the temperament of the Mulefoots were exemplary in her opinion. And that's what she had seen over the years. And, you know, that's really all she had to say to completely win me over. So, so we started our um, search for some Mulefoot hogs and um, we found a few. And so a couple months later, we were all packed up taking our pickup uh, down to southern Illinois to pick up the, our first Mulefoot pigs. And, um, you know, it was really funny because, like I said, we are in Iowa, right? And um, when we mentioned to friends that we were going clear to southern Illinois, six hours away, um, to get pigs, they're like, what are you doing? You live in Iowa. There are pigs right. everywhere. Why do you need to go so far? <laughs> and, um, so we did and made that road trip home and um, it's been just over a year now, probably about 15, 16 months since we, since the pigs first landed on our farm and it has been quite a ride. I wouldn't trade it for anything. They're one of my absolute um, favorite animals. They are very slow growing though. So um, we are looking at our processing time um, being when they are anywhere from 12 to 18 months of age. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's... So, and and I've, I'm told that that can be expediated slightly um, by feeding them, having them more grain input into them. Um, however, that also, um, I've been told that also greatly increases the um, amount of lard on them as well. So, um, we have not done that. We have a system right now that works really, really well for us and um, are happy to now, like I said, we're probably about 16 months into this adventure. We have um, successfully sent our first group of feeders um, off to the processor last month, and they were all in that 12 to 14 month age range. Um, and their hanging weights were anywhere from 128 to 140 pounds. Um, and then we have also successfully now farrowed out our first two sows on the farm. So that seemed like a major victory there as well. So yeah. So I was going to ask you. So your 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 first batch that you brought back was uh, some growers that you're going to finish, but then also you had in that same collection uh, a breeding set. So you, you had do you have one boar and two? two gilts that you're going to breed or are they already proven sows or what would you have there um we do what we um we actually have one boar so in that first group that we brought back um was a pen of feeders 
and um, one boar. And then um, we went a while later um, from another farm and got um, two little gilts that are registered mule foots for breeding. So um, we have two sows and our one registered boar, um, which is a good a good fit <laughs> for us. We're very busy, um, you know, small farm family, and we really fit more of a niche market um, with what we have. So we're not looking so much at, you know, um, high production, um, but we definitely focus on quality. But the mule foot just is a great, great fit for our farm, especially because we focus on organic production. So um, we use all organic minerals and all organic grains. And with the mule foot having such a small grain input, that actually makes that very doable and yet still very affordable as well. Yeah, yeah, that, I can see where larger consumption of course is really just going to make the uh, feed feed costs so high that it's going to be tough to get that uh, investment back so you you mentioned farrowing so you had two of your your gilts farrow how did their litters turn out what litter sizes are we looking at how how did they perform as as mothers yeah so so they were probably a little bit young when we bred them um the one farrowed out four um, and we did have a loss of one piglet within the first 48 hours. Um, the other gilt farrowed out five. So, however, um, you know, they are a slower growing pig. They did come from litters that were size of 13 piglets. So it will be interesting to see in the future um, if their litters grow or not. However, they are absolutely fantastic mothers. Um, there is not a bit of aggression <laughs> that I have seen from either of those girls. Um, they've just been absolutely wonderful. Um, they're very, you know, we didn't have the, the one loss that we did have was not due to fault of the sow. Um, but they're, they're just very, very good with their piglets. They farrowed, both of them farrowed well on their own with no assistance. You know, it was, we knew the time was coming. We knew that, you know, it was going to be less than 24 hours and we were going to have piglets and um, went out the next morning and here was mom and babies and everyone was happy and healthy. And um, they're just very, their demeanor is just unchanging. Even, you know, from the point in time, we, we questioned that, of course. And of course, us being new to pigs, um, that was one of those. I've never been around a sow that had just farrowed. This should be interesting, right. <laughs> you know, moments in, in our in our little farm life here. But um, they are so docile, you know, and even with the new babies, you can go in there. I, I, of course, don't let my children in with a sow with new piglets, but I myself and they're used to me, you know, and they still like their scratches and um, they're not overly protective of their babies. Like I said, really... Um, our one cow, we're getting ready to wean her piglet this um, this weekend, and I have not seen their temperaments change one bit um, with becoming mothers. So it just kind of made me love the breed even more. And they've been, you know, out on the pasture. They do have access. Um, we didn't have the best um, option for them farrowing out in the pasture. They could have went into a hut, but I'm a little bit of a protective pig mom, <laughs> so. So they did have the option of an open stall in the barn, and that's actually where they came in and fared um, both times. So they've been they've been absolutely lovely um, and very low maintenance, even through um, you know having suckling pigs and everything. So 
Excellent. So, uh, are you, looking forward, are you going to be in a uh, once a year breeding cycle? Are you going to try to get uh, more production out of them or just kind of let it go? You know, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, not really sure yet. You know, we'll kind of just see um, what road the good Lord leads us down, I guess. But um, so, you know, we would really like to, I guess, our main focus is um, producing meat for our family and a few clients. Um, but then also having the availability um, to offer up good breeding stock to other people that are in the area. Um, our only drawback is, you know, we do have the two gilts, and they are full sisters and the one um, boar. So in order to, you know, offer someone a good breeding trio, of course, we would need to bring in some new genetics. So um, not exactly sure, you know, it was such a blessing. We actually, when we offered up our pigs that we had um, fed out for sale, uh, it was about three weeks before they were to go to the processor that we finally put them out there and available. And um, within 24 hours, we sold um, every pig that we had on hook. So that was a pretty amazing experience because we kind of dove into this, um, but then went, hmm, this should be interesting as far as the marketing goes. Yeah. And um, we sold in whole and half hogs. So we were extremely pleased with that outcome. Of course, with 40 acres, um, <laughs> you know, to some that might seem like a lot, to some it seems like very little, but we are kind of limited um, in order to do things the way that we really want to mm. um, and, and the way that we see being um, not only good for the animal, but good for our farm and for, you know, Mother Nature as well, um, that we don't want to get too high of numbers. So for right now, keeping the two sows and the one boar, um, and then we'll probably breed them again next year. Um, it's just, it's a good, good fit for us <laughs> for now. So we will see where our production goes and exactly um, depending upon the market and depending upon, like I said, we, we are a little bit limited um, just because of our model, our farm model that we have on just how much we can produce. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Well, I'll back up there for a second because you said something that, that really got my attention and and uh, it sounds like your first year of, of sales uh, worked out really well, but I advise anybody starting out, don't wait three weeks before you're going to the processor to start selling your, your hog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I would agree. I would agree. You know, and we, um, we were very fortunate to, um, because we do pastured poultry, so we have some clientele yes. um, that purchases chicken and turkey from us so we have a pretty good following that way um so and we had already been putting out there you know that we do have these mule foot hogs um through farmers market and everything we hadn't put out a price list or a, a you know um started a waiting list or anything like that just i was just feeling a little superstitious <laughs> you know don't count your eggs before they hatch so um we held off literally what was um the last minute to actually um, sell those pigs. But you know, that's kind of the beauty of the mule foot as well. I was a little bit nervous about that. And um, being three weeks from our processing date at the point in time that we said, hey, here's what we are offering available right now. And, um, but my husband was great to say, hey, you know what? The nice thing is with the mule foot, if we end up keeping them a little bit longer, we're not out that much. You know, we're not pouring 
a ton of grain into them every single month. So um, they also are so slow growing. It's not like you're going to have <laughs> a Godzilla of a pig, um, you know, if you wait till the spring to butcher the same the same pig. It's just going to be slightly larger. So um, that is kind of the blessing, I guess, and the curse of the mule foot is that they are slower growing. But if you don't sell out of the mule foot that you have, you know, um, when you're getting ready and when they could go to process, they're keeping them around for a few more months. Um, it's not going to be a, a huge downfall either. Y- yeah, and you, you said something there. Back up again a little bit. The the fact that there's um, that you have a polyculture when it comes to your meat production, um, and, and this that's something I've I've always kind of yeah, tried to hang my hat on and preach the fact that if you've got a customer base through egg production, you got a customer base through uh, pastured poultry production, or some other source of protein or some other services, uh, products or services you're offering then that just helps open the door to get to these larger products. You sell, I'm sure in your situation, you sell your clients eggs or chicken meat, you move up to pigs, and then, of course, it's it's easy to sell the Dexters or vice versa. You're selling Dexters, uh, uh, beef to people, and then you can cross-sell the, uh, the pork or the poultry at that point. Yes, yes. And especially with us um, being more of that niche market not only you know with the meats that we have but also with um the fact that we do things organic so um you know that kind of in itself almost has its own following um and so when you get clients that are um that appreciate the pastured and the organic meats um they they really are wonderful um to say hey i want to try this and um so it is, you know, it's, it's great to have that, like you said, the polyculture and to, um, you know, just have a lot of different offerings on our farm that are um, smaller offerings, but that get people involved, if you will, you know, with your farm via social media um, or a website. And um, then it does, it, it helps to sell those larger products as well. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Well, how how is processing going for you? Obviously, in Iowa, you probably can swing a cat around by a tail and hit as many processors as you want. So uh, d- did you have any issues there finding a good processor? You know, we are very blessed, um, especially in our location, that we have some wonderful processors um, that we've used for several years now. Um, and that, you know, again, the community of people that are purchasing meat from us have had great experiences with the processors as well. So um, the way that we do it is, you know, within our local area, we have about four processors that we offer people. You know, we will deliver your hog here um, to any one of these four. We do kind of say, you know, hey, here's the plus and minus. Here's what we've seen. You know, if you want something that's going to be vacuum sealed, this is the processor that you want. Um, you know, but they have been so wonderful. All of them have been to work with us and to work with our clients. Um, and that uh, we have absolutely no complaints. The only downfall that we have for our location, and again, this seems really odd since we are in Iowa, um, but the only downfall that we have is we would really like to, um, as we increase production, um, be able to offer certain cuts of meat so that people have, you know, can buy a ham or they can buy some pork steaks instead of having to buy a whole or a half of a hog. Um, and that is a little bit crippling here just because we're looking at about a two hour road trip. 
um, to the nearest USDA certified processor that would allow us to be able to sell just cuts of meat. Mm -hmm. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a jaunt. (laughs) And um, the price is um, over double what um, it actually is for regular processing on a pig. So again, there um, that, you know, it's kind of like, well, how do we do that? We haven't exactly figured that out yet. And, you know, um, I feel like we put out a really good quality product, but we also try and keep it as affordable as possible um, for our clients. And right now the um, processing to sell retail cuts just is not looking like um, that is the most viable option for keeping it real affordable. Hmm. So that's interesting because in Iowa, I I didn't realize in Iowa that – that you have the two levels of processing. Obviously, USDA allows you to sell nationwide because it's federally inspected. But um, here in West Virginia, we have state inspection where I'm allowed to sell cuts as long as I don't cross the state line. So you're saying in Iowa, you even if you go to your local processors that aren't USDA, you, you can't sell cuts. It either has to be holes or halves. Correct, correct. So any of our processors in our local area, you can buy a live hog, you know, off of our farm right, yeah. and you pay me for the whole or the half pig once they have the hanging weight. But then you as the client will actually go to the processor and pick up your whole or half hog and pay them for the processing. Um, so I cannot sell those retail cuts of meat. It requires a different, it requires a um, plant that has a USDA processor mm-hmm. there from start to finish every single day, and it requires this completely different set of labels. Yeah. So um, that's been our, and, and you know, it's the same way. We're, we're lucky, we're fortunate because um, we're only about a little over an hour, hour 15 minutes from a USDA um, poultry processing plant. So it is, it is a little bit different state to state. Hmm. Okay, so even with your poultry, you're sending it out to be processed and not processed on the farm. Yes, yes. There's a lot of, again, legal loopholes that make you go, hmm, that um, we just rather would not get tied up in, you know. So Mm -hmm. if we take them to, with our birds, we take them to um, a USDA licensed processor um, that is licensed and inspected for us to sell them individually, um, we just kind of avoid that gray area. So um, we just like to keep things black and white as possible. Makes sense. Absolutely. Well, Lindsay, let's uh, um, really appreciate the discussion here on on the uh, the setup of your farm. But one thing I'd like to spend a little time talking about here as we as we wrap up is what's the motivation and why did you choose the endangered species? What what I mean, that's obviously that's a lot of extra work. There's I'm sure there's a lot of extra uh, hoops that you have to jump through there. So why the gravitation towards these five different endangered species and, and your desire to uh, to raise them on your farm? You know, the um, I've always been an animal lover, <laughs> always have been. And um, when I when we started looking at it, it actually goes back to our mealfoot hogs. And when my husband and I started researching hog breeds um, to have on our farm, I, for the first time in my lifetime, became aware of an organization called the Livestock Conservancy. And um, that is where we found the mulefoot hogs and the first mention of the mulefoot hogs and um, that they were on a list that was critically endangered. Um, So as I started researching pig breeds, I was absolutely shocked and appalled to find out that 
um, since the, you know, during the 1900s that actually 14 hog breeds went completely extinct. Like that was just um, completely mind boggling to me. You know, it's like, how does that happen? Um, and so then I, I started reading in on the story of the mule foot um, and how they were thought to be extinct at one time. Um, and how a certain particular breeder in Missouri had really worked hard to um, revive and keep the keep the breed going and moving forward. So once we brought mule foots onto the farm, um, I was I was hooked, <laughs> and we kind of you know got to researching. We had um, meat goats previously, but the parasite issues that we were having and just not a hardy animal. We had um, boar goats, and so they are from South America. So bringing them into the Iowa climate um, was just, we, we had much higher production losses than I had ever experienced in any, um, with any livestock breed that I'd had throughout my lifetime. And so um, as we started looking at, well, what do we, where, which direction do we want to go with our goats? Um, I found the San Clemente Island goat on the Livestock Conservancy. And I'm like, you know, this might be a really good fit for us. Um, the biggest hurdle that we've found with these um, critically endangered breeds is the fact that their populations, the numbers are so low. So our mule foot hogs are right about 800. Um, same with the San Clemente Island goats, about seven, 800. But when we get into um, things like our barred Holland chickens, and in particular, our Dutch hook-billed ducks, there was actually only one place in the United States, which was in Arizona, to um, get the Dutch hook-billed ducks from. So with all of these animals, um, our uh, San Clemente Island goats, actually one came from New Hampshire, two came from Maine, um, two came from Wisconsin, and we have a little girl coming in next month from California. So um, you can about imagine <laughs> importing animals from all over the country like that um, is a very large expenditure in its own. However, um, I really love and enjoy um, my livestock. I do. Um, being a stay-at-home mom with three boys, they're just kind of, you know, some ladies like to go to the nail salon, some ladies like to go to the spa. I really like going out to my barn. <laughs> so um, they are phenomenal therapy, and um, I really enjoy the education um, opportunities that come along with it, too. So we've been able to... Um, take some of our poultry and, and photos of our other livestock um, into our local schools and really go and talk to these kids. Um, and it's amazing how much, you know, we live in Iowa. We're a huge monoculture farming community. And um, how many of these children have never been up close with a duck before, you know? And so it's just fascinating. Um, we also have a Dutch heritage in our community and the Dutch hookbills are originally from Holland. And um, again, the, the things that happened that almost led to their extinction and how the breed was, you know, brought back from that is wonderful. And so I really enjoy um, also the opportunities of getting to talk to people um, and other small hobby farms or homesteads um, that are interested in keeping a breed of livestock um, that is maybe a little less conventional. And so us having them at just you know, every person that has them and keeps them and breeds them and really um, puts forth the effort to learn about the particular breed characteristics 
um, and the genetics behind these animals is is key to keeping them around for generations. You know, and the genetic diversity um, that comes from having the different heritage breeds is just um, to me, it's just one of those things that we really can't afford to lose. But um, I really, I enjoy it. I love them, <laughs> love them to pieces. And, uh, you know, it makes our farm a little more unique. But um, right now, it's just kind of where the good Lord has called us to be. So um, this is this is where we are. Very good. All right. So uh, one more question, and I, these questions keep popping into my head, so it's not necessarily in, in logical order there, but you had mentioned earlier about free-ranging a lot of these animals. Are you, do you have any uh, predator issues? Have you, have you found a solution to get around predation? We do. We actually have tremendous predator issues. Um, and uh, so out here, you know, we have all of the predators from the sky, the, the hawks and the owls and the eagles. Um, but we also have the coyotes and the bobcats. Um, so we have a large, about 300 acre plot of timber that borders our farm on two sides. So you can about imagine what that's like for bobcats and, and coyotes. Um, and the absolute best thing that we did on this farm was about two years ago, um, we brought home two great Pyrenees mm. and, um, our losses were huge before that. We actually, in one evening, um, had bobcats come in, and even though the coop door was closed, it had blown open in the wind, and they annihilated every chicken we had on the farm oh, wow. um, in just one night. And um, we had some other losses along the way as well, and that's when I finally said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> so I am very thankful to report that we have only actually had um, two chicken losses um, in the two years that we've had our great periods, and those were both due to, um, you know, aerial predators, whether it be a hawk or an eagle, um, and was during the day. So, so they have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, actually, today even I I looked out <laughs> in the far pasture, and here was our sow and her three piglets, and um, there was a bobcat stalking them along the one fence line. And you know, it was I I didn't have to get concerned over it. I knew it was going to be taken care of. So. Our dogs are definitely the reason that um, I sleep well at night. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, good investment there. Definitely, in a very natural way to uh, to uh, stave off predation. Well, yeah, right. yes, they are. Well, let's, uh, Lindsay, one question I always like to wrap up with on the podcast is what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? <laughs> Oh, hands down the babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love the babies. You know, um, now my husband would tell you his favorite part is the end, you know, with the processing when he literally gets to bring home the bacon. <laughs> <That's right. Yes. laughs> that yes. would be where that would be his absolute favorite. But um, for me, you know, it's really the relationship with the animals. Um, my my sow's names are Polly and Petunia and our boar is Bock Hog and um those three just have such unique and wonderful personalities. We had um, a student out here that was volunteering not too long ago. And um, he said, you know, he goes out of all of the livestock, he said, I'm, I'm so um, intrigued by the personality of the pigs. They are so much more interactive with people um, than even the chickens and, you know, the goats, all of those things. Just the pigs have just such big personalities um, and they're incredibly smart some days that is to a detriment <laughs> but 
I really enjoy all of it, but boy, oh boy, there's nothing like going out and finding that new little nest of piglets. Yeah, yeah, it is. That piglet time on the farm is definitely a, a great time. That's when that's when everybody enjoys that time. It's 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 a great opportunity. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, all right. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, uh, despite our technical difficulties there at the beginning. I appreciate you sticking with me and uh, appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, if people want to find out more about Prodigy Farms, where can they find you? So we are Prodigy Farms on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, we also have a small website, which is prodigyfarmspella.com. Um, and uh, if you're interested, and, and of course, um, the Livestock Conservancy um, is a great place to go to find out all kinds of information um, on the different levels of, of endangered um, heritage livestock breeds as well. All right. All right. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. I, I pray you have a, a good yes. evening and a good week this uh, this week. Thank you very much, Troy. Okay. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Lindsay taking the time to talk with us. If you want to see more about Prodigy Farms, uh, the show description, of course, will have uh, the details there. Well, I hope everyone has a great week, and I pray you have a good week out in the pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.org.